the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This new year is a great time for sports, and it's a great time for sports content. And nobody has more content, long form, short form, audio, video, commentary, Twitter followers. I mean, it's an incredible cast. Analytics, commentators, full-out reporters, long-form journalists. The Athletic has it all. Visit theathletic.com slash track today. Get yourself 40% off. Also, download the app, the free app. Log in when you subscribe. Pick the teams. Pick the leagues that you like the most. You'll get updated content, push notifications. It's ad-free. It's just the content. It's just the good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. Again, theathletic.com slash track. Get you 40% off. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday. Going to jump around the board a little bit today. Let's start with Emily Karen from Sportico, our good friend. Back, Welcome back to the show this new year. She's got plenty to talk about in women's sports, certainly college sports, the name, image, likeness, where that is, where that's going, what's going to happen with Power 5 college football after a tumultuous season and, you know, never been more evident that there is a distinct gap between the NCAA and the Power Five. So she's going to speak to that a little bit as, as well as plenty more. She's always really uh, great for variety. I love having her on the show. We're going to bring in Scott for a new little wrinkle. So generally speaking, we do a fantasy football salary cap postseason contest on Spot Trek. We're going to skip it this year because COVID's weird. And I didn't want to deal with the, uh, you know, the inconsistencies, people locking in their rosters today and then, you know, things go crazy in Cleveland or things go crazy somewhere else and half their rosters moot. You know, that just doesn't seem fair to do something like that. Although I know a lot of you are doing that. So what we're doing is we're taking the, the format of that we generally would have had the salary cap format and also a non-salary cap format. And we're going to pick a postseason fantasy roster. We're going to talk about the longevity, you know, the sleepers, the Cinderella's to pick, how to fill out that roster with a couple of quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, even kickers and defense. <laughs> um, a lot of fun. Something new, you know, not the normal talk from us, but we're going to pick some fantasy rosters. And then in that same breath, Cousin Dan comes back to the show and spins that into a DFS conversation, especially with the wild card week can come out. Six games, you know, how do you handle the Saints who seem underrated, the Seahawks who seem underrated, the over-unders of these things, the weather, all that good stuff. Dan's kind of cherry on the top of that Sunday in terms of a long-form postseason fantasy versus this week in a microcosm inside of a shell three uh, solid guests this week then we're going to enjoy some football and we'll come back next week and do it all over again today's episode is also brought to you by the online betting guide do you consider yourself an nfl expert knowledgeable in stats trends plays and injuries visit olbg.com there's free contests cash prizes and oh by the way they're a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions to compete for top place in the leaderboard of these games while at the same time, they're helping you make more informed betting decisions. So you're playing and you're learning. It's the best of both words. Show them what you've got today. Visit OLBG.com or at OLBG on Twitter. We're also pushing those things out inside of our tweets. So if you have any questions about them, feel free to reach out to us. Super happy to have these guys on board. It's a great relationship. I'm learning from them. I'm becoming better at this. And uh, we're going to have somebody like Cousin Dan come on also and help us with this kind of stuff. Just kind of learning as we go so that we're not throwing money into a dumpster fire. Thrilled to have Emily Karen back on the OLBG hotline, the sports business reporter from Sportico, who've been a great new partner for us 
in terms of sports business content, uh, you know, Twitter reactions, things like that. It's been a nice little partnership here. And Emily's been a big part of that. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> as we have this discussion, you know, the capital is being invaded. So I can understand if your house is your head is somewhere else right now as mine is. Um, thanks for doing this. Of course, it's a crazy day. Yeah, no question about it. And look, we can start with something at least somewhat relevant to that in a more positive light, maybe. Uh, you've got a piece, your your latest piece on Spartaco references the fact that Kelly Loeffler has lost her Senate seat and she is the current co-owner of the Atlanta Dream in the WNBA, uh, an area you, de- you, you, know, you've, you dabble in, you, you cover to some degree. Is there any correlation with these two events? Is this going to be a, a situation where somebody has to step in now and say, okay, we, you know, we need to take further action in terms of her sports career now. You know, it's a good question. I think people have been asking that sort of since since unraveled this summer. And she sent a letter to WNBA commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, kind of opposing all of the, uh, you know, activism that the league was doing, uh, or all of it is probably not fair, but a lot of it. Um, And, you know, then sort of a question of her ownership was brought up. It didn't seem at the time like she was going to be pushed out because of her politics. Um, And I don't know if, you know, it's hard to say correlation or causation with this, but I know that her opposition's campaign has said that, you know, the visibility that, you know, the Atlanta dream provided for her opponent was invaluable to them. I mean, they've put a number on it, um, you know, speaking to some outlets, you know, they ballpark it around $300,000 that they equate in donations that they received you know, as soon as their activism started, as soon as they started their sort of campaigning for the reverend. So there's definitely an impact. Um, What happens next is still to be seen. Yeah, fair enough. And I know you're going to be covering that. So we'll keep up with you on that as well. That's going to be a story that's going to continue on. There's no question. Um, I'm I'm sure you've seen, you know, LeBron James has now voiced his opinion as well (laughs) and has offered to take over the team if, uh, if need be. So this is be the first team that he's bought an ownership stake in, you know? Yeah. Liverpool soccer. Not, not a bad investment to start with, by the way, my goodness. Um, look at, I, I brought you back cause you're a great guest. We love having you. It, it's a new year. We somehow survived almost all of the football season here, right? I mean, both of these, both the college and professional are near the finish line here. I'm, I think the college finish line may get extended a bit, but, um, you know, last time we talked, that was, that seemed impossible with the current landscape and certainly money has been lost. I'm not going to have you put too many numbers out here because, you know, it's just going to take time to figure out where we are and it's going to take years and years to recover any of this. So here's where I want to go with this, Emily. People are getting really creative. You you know, we just saw the NHL basically (laughs) sell out their conference, their divisions to sponsorships with to to mixed degree. I, I, I'm I'm on the side of make your money however you want as long as it's not crazy obtrusive. That's it doesn't bother me. I, and I had a discussion not too long ago on the show about how you know we're starting to see more sponsorships on jerseys, on helmets, things like that. And you know, America I think is trending toward the English Premier League model where you don't even get your team name on the jersey anymore. You are completely sponsored by a corporation or, or, or you know a billionaire essentially. Uh, we're going to get there, right? I mean, that's that's the easy sell right now outside of gambling, which of course is the biggest way to make money for every state and every league. But the, the, these little you know, nickel and dime moves, they add up and, and they make a lot of money back for these leagues, right? 
Yeah, they definitely do. Um, I think you've seen it, especially like you said, at the professional level. I think it's interesting. You know, I, I did a piece of maybe a month back when the college basketball season was starting and I was looking at, you know, basketball at schools like VCU or Gonzaga um, or Dayton, where that's really sort of basketball is their football. And in my conversations with VCU's AD, he mentioned that he actually had requested permission from the NCAA to sell sponsorships for VCU's college jerseys for their basketball team to sort of recoup some of the money that they're going to lose from not having fans this year, which I thought was fascinating. And it was shut down. Obviously, the NCAA is, you know, still continuing to sort of work out their amateurism and commercialism kind of flow and where all of that um, aligns. But I thought it was really interesting that, you know, even college athletic directors are starting to think of that, you know, even if it's a one-off, even if you sell the sponsorship, you know, it's a small Jersey patch and it's one year, that's money that they need right now. So, you know, while I don't know that the NCAA is quite there yet, it's interesting that these conversations are trickling that far down. Okay, so that sparked two new uh, two new questions I have. One about the naming rights for college athletes, and one about the NCAA as a whole. So I'll start with the the, the name image, image like this. You have you put a piece out just before Christmas um, about how Nebraska has sort of championed themselves and pioneered this process. Uh, just globally, Emily, where are we with this in terms of college athletes and the name image likeness? Has it progressed? to a point where now it's, it's starting to become a story in the, in these major colleges or is the COVID situation and, you know, honestly, these the smaller sports being up, upheavaled at this point, you know, is there, are there bigger fish to fry where this is kind of still on the back burner? I think, you know, you've seen the NCAA sort of punt this decision twice now, um, you know, twice this fall and the decision now in terms of, well, let me rephrase. They're punting a decision on who they're going to work with to sort of facilitate this. And whoever is facilitating this for them is, you know, once that person is picked, I think that's when the ball will really start to get rolling. That decision has been punted twice. We'll see. They said mid-January what happens. But even if they don't pick someone, you know, this is the month that they will be voting on approving the changes. So we're going to see some sort of action one way or the other. I think, you know, making those actual decisions about implementation of NIL, COVID has definitely impacted. I think the NCAA and universities and conferences have a lot on their plates right now. I think they're trying to juggle, you know, a lot of things and maybe it's sort of a survival mode, but it's definitely coming. Um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, like you said, in that piece, we talked about, you know, Nebraska has made a massive investment financially into why don't you why don't you go ahead and explain it because i don't think it's been out there enough i mean i I appreciate that you that you got to this and like i said it was christmas week i think a lot of things got pushed under the rug then (laughs) it happens uh you know tell the listeners exactly what happened because this is pretty major sure so we kind of took a look at contracts you know with a variety of different schools of different sizes you know from kansas state to nebraska and a couple people in between Um, You know, looking at what their NIL preparation looks like in terms of who they're working with, how much they're paying, what services they're paying for, right? Are they just paying for someone to come in and help facilitate better branding and social media opportunities for their athletes so that when their athletes can monetize it, they have all the tools they need to really, you know, grow their social media engagement? 
or are they hiring people to actually help them do prep and education seminars? Or, you know, if you're a school like LSU, you're actually hiring someone as sort of a a real consultant for the process to help you kind of wade through all the different elements from it, uh, involved with it, from compliance to recruiting and whatnot. And I think, you know, you asked earlier about if we're starting to see the effects of this. And I think recruiting is one area you definitely are. I think schools are starting to use that as a selling point of saying, hey, if you come play football at Nebraska, not only do we have a program that's a national caliber program that gets regular attention, massive conference, um, but we also now have made a, you know, several hundred thousand dollar investment as an athletic department to make sure that you have all the tools that you need to make the most of your NIL when you can. And there's no question that the, the universities will want to do this, right? Because it all trickles back to them, right? If, if their athletes are properly branded and, and, you know, the fact that they're making money is, is kind of moot to the university, but, it, you know, that the notoriety, the brand awareness, all of that is going to come back to Nebraska, for instance, right? I, I mean, it's, it's going to be good for them. And, and you're right. What a selling point. If you can be one of the, the universities across the country that have sort of pioneered this and, and have set up a system where these athletes can succeed not only athletically, but also in terms of social awareness. Um, yeah, it, it's a whole new frontier and it's, it's neat that right. we're here, but there's this, you know, the low hanging fruit that is the NCAA that's kind of, they're going to try to squash this as much as possible. You know that more than anybody. So I'm going to, let's get off that topic and into something else with the NCAA, because I think, man, after this last game in terms of college football, we are going to see a firestorm of proposed change. And I, I think you may agree with me. I don't think you've actually written about this, but I, I guarantee it's crossed your path. Is the power five just going to break away, Emily? Is this going to happen? Because I really have a feeling that we're going to, more than ever, that the power five football system is just going to be its own entity sooner rather than later here. So this was actually a discussion, interestingly enough, that came up over the summer right when everyone was trying to figure out what the NCAA was going to do with fall sports, with football, and the power fives were sitting there saying, you know, we can afford to test regularly. We can afford to add these COVID necessary protocols. We can afford to, you know, treat players, you know, if things are, uh, if anyone contracts COVID or there are any complications, like they had the infrastructure to do that in a way that a lot of smaller schools didn't right? The cost of testing, say, you know, Kansas State gave us an estimate for a story that we did uh, right before Christmas, that testing was costing them, even if they did it all in-house, which was cheaper than when they had to send it out, you know, you're talking about $18,000 for a game. So you're looking at 20 grand that some, you know, per week that some of these smaller schools had to consider when they were trying to figure out what was financially feasible for them in terms of the season. And I think, we've seen the growing disparity kind of between the college athletic department haves and haves nots, if you will, you know, the really massive departments in the big 10 that are getting huge money and generating huge money on their own. And then the schools that are smaller departments that are struggling to keep pace. And I think COVID has really shed a light on that. And I think you look at the cost of testing as just one example of the disparity right there. And then it, it does raise the question of, you know, how sustainable is a system where the gap between the top tier programs, what their revenues and expenses are, is so drastically different than some of the schools at the lower end of that. So, you know, this came up over the summer 
obviously it didn't end up happening then. And this conversation has surfaced in years past. But I think if there's any time that an actual restructuring would be considered, it would be right now. I agree. I I, I agree. I, I don't think we're done. I think this season just enhanced the, the disconnect as you're talking about, um, especially with what the Big Ten hit, did, went, you know, went through kind of the flip-flop situation. Um, is it good for the game? Uh, let me let me rephrase that. I don't. I'm trying to ask who it's good for. Is it good for premier college football players to be split away from the NCAA right now, or is that dangerous water? You know, I think it depends on what happens if they do split. Right. You saw a couple weeks back the Knight Commission, which is um, you know an independent sort of reform focused college athletics body. Um, they're made up of you know former ADs, former university presidents, a whole slew of people. And they actually made a recommendation that those teams kind of split off and are, you know, run and managed by sort of a separate entity. But I think it all comes down to who that entity is. And, you know, if their goal is monetization and commercialization, I think who, you know, that obviously everyone can form their own opinion on if that's good or not. But I think that definitely would shift the focus and the priorities and, how that shifts would impact, you know, what happens to student athletes and sort of where they end up in this mix. So here's a question that you probably don't have a specific answer for, but maybe if, if you could just spitball. So, you know, ESPN just, <laughs> just gave $3 billion for the SEC to bring them over to their network in, in the coming years. Yeah. Let's say this happens. Let's say in 2024, you know, the SEC and the Power Five are on, are on their own and they're doing their own thing. I mean, is that a breach of contract or, you know, does the SEC now live with ESPN singularly, even if they're not under the NCAA? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, is there way more to this than just a bunch of schools moving their football program to a different system? You know, are the markets, is the sponsorships, is that all going to have to come with them? Or can we just kind of segment this thing, knowing that, you know, there's a tier one and then there's a tier four after that kind of. That would depend. Obviously, you'd have to look at the contract language with each, um, you know, conference and their partner. But I think that would also depend, right, if you're talking about just football being run by another entity outside the NCAA, but everything else is, you know, there may still be a way for those sort of NCAA contingent aspects to stay intact in some regard. Um, but realistically, I think when you look at why these massive media provide, you know, networks, why CBS is doing a deal with the SEC is not at the end of the day because of the SEC's affiliation with the NCAA. It's interesting. We'll see if it gets there. I, I'm not sure if I want it or not, but <laughs> I think I want to at least understand more about what, what they're thinking and, and, uh, because you know the NCAA, it is what it is. They're a they're a, they're a non governing governing <laughs> being right now, and uh, it certainly showed itself this past year. Speaking of which, I think I'll get you out of here on this, and it's a it's an objective question, of course. You've covered a lot of different sports, women's, you know, maybe slightly more towards the women's side, but really all spectrums. Um, you know, lacrosse has been big. The, the athletes unlimited, the softball and and the volleyball from there has been big this past year. Who who benefited the most, not from the pandemic, but maybe from the fact that the big sports kind of came back down to earth a little bit because everybody had to. So maybe what, what small or ancillary or third party sport maybe took the biggest step forward this past year? 
I would say probably the NWSL. I think that WNBA is a close second. Um, maybe I'm biased. Like you said, I do a lot of women's sports for us here, along with college sports at Sportico. But I think what you saw was an opportunity, um, especially as other leagues, like you said, sort of came back down to earth and maybe were put on pause or even like the NHL, you know, their their viewership struggled because there was a lot for people to watch at different parts of the year, yeah. right? You saw leagues be able to take advantage of like the NWSL, less overlap um, and when their season would be like there was nothing else going on when they first returned with their their bubble tournament. And so they were really able to capitalize on that from a broadcast and partnership perspective. And I think because that was so successful, that will only continue to grow. And I think you saw the same thing with the WNBA, um, you know, in their bubble in Bradenton, they not only on the court, but off the court generated a ton of noise. And I think that was particular to this year and just, you know, the flexibility that networks and broadcasters had to have for their own survival but also, you know, the opportunities that sort of this, you know, I hate that we all keep talking about how unprecedented 2020 was, but really the opportunities that, you know, being in such an unprecedented situation presented, right? You could really get creative and work with new partners and strike, you know, new deals and really toy with the time that they had. That's a great answer. I have to agree. I, I found myself watching because it was the only thing on. And I'm also a huge soccer fan, but I think they picked the right spots. I think they, the changes they made to kind of make it more of a tournament style were brilliant, similar to what lacrosse did. I know lacrosse did very well as, as well. And, and the merger of those big leagues, I think is going to be beneficial going forward. Right. Um, what about the Athletes Unlimited situation? Is that going to be able to hold itself up here? I know volleyball was supposed to come in. Is that going to get off the ground here with COVID? Yes. So they are playing a second season i think well mm -hmm. first season for volleyball but their second sport um i think i actually believe it's starting either later this month or early february um i know they had to relocate because of some stuff in nashville but now they have plans in texas and i think athletes unlimited kind of goes back to just what we were talking about where this was a year that was really conducive to flexibility and to changes yeah. and they are really changing the model for smaller women's sports and so you know, like I said before, if there's ever a time that it's going to work, I think it's now. I think their model was, you know, pre-pandemic, their model was planned out to be, you know, one city, short season, everything condensed. And that right. They kind of built the bubble. <laughs> right. That, that, you know, and they had planned to have fans. But even, you know, you take out the fans, the rest of their business model still stayed intact, um, which I think was huge for them. You know, if it hadn't this year, it might have been very hard to sort of get things going. And, and I also think that what they're doing, because it's, it's so socially branded, um, and you've, you've spoken to that before, there's a lot that can be taken from what they're doing back to the, to, to the NCAA universities. Don't you agree? Like the name is, it is like the system. It's not going to be, you know, Gatorade commercials. It's just not, that's going to be uncommon. You know, it's going to be creativity. There's going to be a lot to it to get these college athletes out there a little bit. And I think what, what this company has done successfully, I mean, I, I, look at, I bought my, my 10 year old daughter, you know, athletes unlimited top softball cards for Christmas because they were there, they were different. They were unique. I kind of thought it was, it was something we should own as a family. So, you know, that kind of stuff is going to start to trickle down. And you're right. It's these little things, you, you know, the old school sports being modernized a little bit with, 
social media in mind, it's working. There's no question it's working. And oh, by the way, the bubbles work, whether we need them or not, they work. They're actually really interesting because the level of sport just takes so much more. The NBA season was outstanding because these guys had nothing to do with play basketball. It was some of the best sports we've seen. So I don't want that to go away either. You know, we talk about in the NBA now they have the summer league in Las Vegas and it's always we kind of laugh about it going in and then we, we watch it or some of us actually go to it and it's outstanding for this very reason. It's, it's this small microcosm, this bubble setting with these guys who are just there to play ball. And I think if you can make this a thing across sports, women or men, you're going to get that niche following that's going to grow and grow every year. So I think it's a really good model. I've, I've liked them since you brought them to my attention out of the gate. And I think it's going to work even if, you know, the money's probably not what they budgeted because of all the things we're, we're dealing with. But uh, look, you, you're doing great work. Everything you do is interests me. Honestly, you, you, it's always out of left field from, from my tunnel because I'm in, you know, I have to live with inside the big four sports so much that it's good to get away from it. And uh, you're great at what you do. You are underscore M Karen on Twitter. It, you are at Sportico at Sportico on Twitter and Sportico.com. Emily, thanks so much for coming back to the show. We will do this again soon. Of course. Anytime. Joined on the OLBG hotline by Scott Allen. Scott, for like five straight years this week, you and I would have launched our fantasy salary cap NFL postseason game where we give away some money. People try to pick their postseason NFL rosters. It's one player from each team. Positionally like a fantasy roster. Got to keep your salary cap as low as possible. Most fantasy points with the cheapest salary cap at the end of the Super Bowl, win some cash prizes. We're not doing that this year. And the reason I'm not, I just want to get it out there for the listeners who have played that before, is because of COVID. Because I don't want to have to deal with the fact that half the rosters may have guys, you know, prominent position players who miss a game or whatever. It's just, there's just too much inconsistency. As anybody who's played DFS or things like that, no. So I just figured since it's just a fun game anyway, let's stick it. Stick it in the closet for the year. We'll probably bring that back next year. But with that said, there are sites out there that do this, one of which you and I have used, I don't know, three, four years now with family and friends. Yeah. It's called The Second mm-hmm. Season. It's a, it's a solid app, good website. Uh, I know you've done your draft already. So you've picked your fantasy postseason NFL roster. I have not even opened the website yet. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to be less prepared, but maybe that's beneficial to me. Sometimes you you overthink things. Um, So let's just do this. So first of all, tell the listeners, because I hopefully you have it in front of you, you know, what, what's the positional breakdown? Is it kind of standard? Is it two quarterbacks? I think it is, right? Yeah. So you got, you got two quarterbacks, four running backs, four wide receivers, two tight ends, a kicker and a defense. Okay. So I didn't even set this up properly. We're going to pick a team, okay? And you're going to tell me maybe who you would have picked. And I'm going to tell you from a financial perspective what kind of value that pick is. So we're going to kind of play our game that we're not hosting this year. (laughs) And we're going to do it on the podcast instead. And then next year we'll bring it back. We'll have some more more fun with it. Give away some cash. Blotty, blotty, blotty. So what's your approach? Cause there's no money involved in your game. So, no, and, and the difference with this compared to ours is ours. You usually have to pick one player from each team. This, you can pick as many players stack, from one team. Right. A, so if you yeah, think the chiefs so. are going to win the super bowl, you just pick all chiefs essentially. Yep. Now that's yep. fighting fire for two reasons. 
Number one, they've got to buy. So they're not going to accrue points in the first week. Big deal. You know, you, you want to pick when, when you're in these leagues, you want to try to pick the team that's going to come kind of from the middle and run the table. And I'm going to tell you who that team mm-hmm. is. Do you have a guess? Um, Here's the problem, though. Steelers? Well, yes. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. Who do you even pick? I know. Unless it's everybody. And the other team I would pick would be Baltimore. Because I don't think Baltimore has been talked about enough. They've been playing. They've been beating up bad teams badly. They just haven't beaten up the good teams well. Um, yeah, I tried. I, I tried with mine. I tried to spread it out as best as possible. I was a little okay. heavy with one team, um, but I, I tried to spread it out because of what you said. You, you want longevity. You want some impact every week. Correct. Okay, so your quarterbacks. Then I'm going to guess your quarterbacks are Josh Allen. Yes. And Tom Brady. Nope. Aaron Rodgers. I went with my Super Bowl pick. Okay, so he's on a buy. So you, so you are going to you're, you're giving one of your quarterbacks a buy. Okay. All right. I am. Okay, so you picked the third most expensive quarterback in this draft mm-hmm. and basically the third least expensive essentially. I mean Lamar's yeah. Lamar's probably your well, let's stop there. Whoever the Rams quarterback is, John Wolford, is that his name? John Wolford is your yep. is your best. Not I can't even call him a good value. Although, look, if you're going Rams, I guess you're going running game. You know, picking Cam Akers, although he's not healthy, is probably not a terrible option if they can win a game. To me, that's the that's the part of this that I try to figure out. It's not so much who's going to win the Super Bowl because you know you can you can say what you want, but it's so easy to get tripped up in these postseasons. I, I try to figure out who's going to make it to week two. Who's going to play two games? Because generally mm-hmm. speaking, if most of your roster is built, you know, has played two games and has accrued two games worth of points, you're going to be in pretty good shape. You know, you're going to yep. have, and because you have to pick a kicker, because you have to pick a defense, and generally speaking, those are the least amount of points. You know, in our league, where you can only pick one per team, you pretty much want the team you think is absolutely going to lose to be your kicker. Or be your defense. So if you think the WFT is going to get run over by by the Bucks, you know you're picking whoever the WFT kicker is. Insert his name for me, Scott. Uh, I don't know. I can't know. Perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> Let me look. No, I, I can't say it off the top of my head. Actually, I, I could say it, but it- actually, the WFT defense is the is a great pick because you might get one really good week of points out of them. Because they, yeah. you know, they could pick up Brady twice. They could rush. Yeah, they, they could. They could sack him four times, and he could still win thirty-one to four. So, um, Justin right. Hopkins. That's what I thought. Oh, that's interesting. He's been in the league a while. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that's the difference between being able to stack players and not being able to stack players. All right. So I have no problem with your quarterbacks, none whatsoever. Uh, you know, both are going to stack up points. There's no question about that. And and I'm going to get to, into this with Cousin Dan in a little bit here in terms of the DFS. I think, uh, I think what we haven't seen from Josh Allen this year is his run game. And yes, Brian Dable has been holding that card. And yes, he's he going has. to unleash them. He's going to unleash Josh Allen well, to run and scramble at his will because it is the one thing 
that defenses will not be prepared for because he's been putting people to sleep with it all year. Yeah, and that's one reason I I, I picked him. A, I think he he's the hot hand right now, and B, he you you nailed it. He has not ran, and that is a uh, in the playoffs. That is a you know a trump card uh, that he he's more mobile. If he needs to move, I'm going to get uh, passing yards, but I'm also going to get those rushing yards. Uh, so that, that's why I went with him. Yeah. So in in that same breath, and also because of their first week opponent. I'd be, you'd have to beg me not to pick Russ Wilson for this. I know, you know, in the, in the salary cap league at 35 million a year, that's a more difficult decision, but knowing you've got the Rams week one who are going to be down, you know, that defense is going to get tired because their offense isn't going to be able to move the ball. And, and for the same reason, I, I think there's no strings attached on Russ in the, in the postseason. you know, where he was coming out of the gate, those first six weeks, throwing the heck out of the ball. He's not going to have to do that now. You know, he's going to scramble calculated like he like he generally does. It's his time of year. He knows how to handle this now, and there won't be any uh, any rushing restrictions on him or Josh Allen. So two similar situations in my opinion. But uh, you know, in a non money league like like this one is, I think those are probably my two quarterbacks. All right, give me your running backs. I'll let you know my thoughts after that. All right, so I went with Derrick Henry, okay. Nick Chubb. Chris Carson and Alvin Kamara. I'm trying to think. Okay, so you're going AFC, AFC, NFC, NFC here? I am. Is that calculated? It is. Okay. So you want? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I have. Um, and, and I did the same thing with my wide receivers. I went to AFC to NFC. I tried to make sure that I at least maybe was able to get at least two in the Super Bowl if possible. Um, some may want to go all NFC or all mm-hmm. AFC and at least bank on them having s- something from one conference. But I, I tried to spread it out um, because when, it, when I thought about on some teams, you know, there isn't that go to wide receiver or running back that I thought was going to be, you know, uh, give, give me the points that I would need. I went with Derrick Henry because he's just had this smash mouth and, you know, he, he going for the 2000 yards and, you know, we, we've seen what he's done in the past in in the playoffs and I'm banking on that again. So I was I'm about hoping- to admonish you for going kind of chalk here. Cause you know, Henry Kamara Chubb, there's no question those are the three most prolific running backs in this postseason, but it's really hard after that. I mean, really difficult. It, so, it so where I would push back and say, shouldn't you try to have more variety? Because, look, you're up against 15 rosters here. If everybody's got Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry goes to the Super Bowl, well, you're, you're not any, you know, any more advantageous than anybody else. So, like, you know, like a DFS conversation, you've got to try to be squirrely here. W- you know, why not a... J.K. Dobbins or or a Jonathan Taylor. Do you just not think there's going to be longevity there? Um, what are the matchups? It's Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Tennessee. Baltimore, Tennessee. That's tough. It is. And, okay. and, and okay. Dobbins, Dobbins has come on in the end here more so than he did in the beginning of the season. Um, but... 
I like think I you're said, right. I, I, I yeah. wanted I wanted to well balance things, and if I went with Henry, I didn't want to go with Dobbins because then they may negate each other. Um, so I tried to, like I said, I tried to spread it out as best as possible with that. Yeah, this is such an important position too for fantasy purposes because it can make or break, as Alvin Kamara showed many of us in Week 16, it can make or break a week's worth of points. I don't know how you don't go Kamara, except for the fact that he might not play this week, right? And I, and I was iffy on that. That was an iffy one because I don't know if he's going to play. I think that game is on Sunday. Oh, it's I as late as possible. I mean, so the NFL I mean, set it up. I'm, I'm, to, they want him playing. There's no question about right. it. So I'm banking on that he, he's going to play, but if not, I'm 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 going to be hurting unless they move on, and then I'm good because he moves on. I, I, I still agree that. This is, is this the second, this is definitely the second most important position here, especially with four of them. Um, you're still trying to think who's going to make it to week two here. So you're saying Browns over Steelers, yep. Titans over Ravens, Seahawks yep. over Rams, and who am I missing? Saints. Saints over, over Bears? Yes. Okay, so you're going favorites. That's not. That's probably not bad strategy. What's the What's the one pick there you do, you are least confident about? Mm, well, Kamara, if he doesn't show up for the first game, as long as they they move on. But I think out of them, I'd probably have to go uh, Chris Carson. Probably. Does any part of you? All right. Here's Here's an edit. I'll give you an edit. Change Nick Chubb for Kareem Hunt. Okay. Just to be different. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Kareem yeah. Hunt might, might steal three touchdowns on the goal he, line. He could. You know what yeah, I mean? He could. You're right. And, yep. and if you've got at least that little bit of variance there, then you're still picking the team you want to win and you think we'll get to week two, but you don't have maybe the, you know, the, the 80% owned running back there. All right. Uh, wide receivers, four of them. Is that what it is? Four of them. All yes. right. Give me them. All right. So I've got A.J. Brown. From Tennessee, Tyreek Hill from KC, Terry McLaurin from Washington football team, and Robert Woods, the Rams. Man, you are going all over the board here. (laughs) You're not stacking anybody. No, I well, I did stack someone, but well, you you stacked you stacked AJ Brown and you stacked Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry. Yeah. All right. Did you go John Smith as well? I did not. Okay, we'll we'll wait on the tight ends. All right, I like these. This this is fine. There's nothing wrong with this. Um, Devontae Adams is going to be the highest pick wide receiver. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. So, is that a stay away, or is he going to accrue enough points to where it's worth it to have him? <laughs> yeah, that's a great. Point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and how many? How is Michael Thomas coming back into the fold going to impact this? <laughs> and it's a question I'm going to ask Dan about DFS. There's no question about it. Um, because, you know, will him being in the news for returning increase his ownership because he's in the spotlight? Or will there be so much, well, how much usage will he get? You know, will he get hurt again? Is there just too much red flag out there attached to him to take him, especially in a long-form format like this is? Uh, There's no question that Drew Brees has missed him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah, the, yeah. it hasn't been talked about enough how, I don't know, 
how it's not that it's been a bad group, but it certainly hasn't been a great group of receivers that he and Taysom Hill have had to work with. And that's been undersold in my opinion. So the fact that he's not going downfield, well, guess what? (laughs) Jared Cook ain't getting downfield, right? I mean, Manuel Sanders isn't going downfield anymore. It's not like he's got Chris Godwin or, you know, Corey Davis or Tyreek Hill on the out routes that he can at least attempt to get the ball to. So, yeah, if you've got a guy like Michael Thomas who at any given day can catch 15 balls, which he's been known to do, even if they're, yeah, I'd be tempted to take Michael Thomas here because why not? It's the end of the year. We've got nothing to lose. We're just trying to get this thing to the finish line. They're not going to save him for the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Uh, yep. you know, maybe the Bears don't intimidate him, but that defense probably does. So they're going to throw a good offense at them. So, yeah, and I didn't stack. I didn't stack with Green Bay with Adams or any wide receivers with Allen uh, because I, I wanted to at least spread it out so that in the event one of those teams loses, then I've at least got you know. See, I disagree if, with if you Marshall, there, though. I disagree with you there. I understand why you're spreading it out because you want to, you want to have as much longevity with your roster as possible when teams fall off. But I, I do think there's a lot to a double up touchdown. And, and, you know, Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams are going to be the sexy picks here. But, you know, you could easily you could easily get away with John oh, Brown and Cole Beasley, Alan Lazard, you know. Yeah, yeah Beasley's injured, so I'm, I wouldn't know about that. But, yeah, the second options on both of those rosters, probably not terrible. Uh, yeah, let's bring point. this into the tight end conversation. Did you stack the tight end with your quarterbacks? <laughs> no, I didn't. Not at all. I didn't okay. because the, the Buffalo Bills tight ends, if they use them, they're, they're all over the place. Maybe yeah. Knox is your closest one, but they don't really use them enough. He's also had some bad drops. He's not, he's and, not reliable. <laughs> and I didn't stack it with Rodgers either. I actually went um, Mark Andrews okay. from Baltimore and then Rob Gronkowski from Tampa Bay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's playoff no. time. Playoff ground. Well, well, with, well, with Baltimore, Andrews has been – used as a wide receiver as it is anyways. And Tom loves Rob. So I just figured it's Baltimore, Tennessee, right? That Tennessee defense is atrocious, right? Yeah. I I pick more Ravens. I would pick more Ravens because I'd be pretty, pretty set there getting a week two. So why not Lamar? What's your Um, case against Lamar here? He's just hasn't shown it in the playoffs yet. My case against it is I'm banking on, even though, the stuff that's come down with the, the, um, Oh, I'm thinking Tennessee. I think Tennessee's going to win that game for one. You do. And okay. I think, I think the value of Allen and the points that he could put up is better than what Lamar would be able to put up. Okay. All right. I still agree with the Andrews pick, although I might, I mean, Kelsey's going to be the most popular tight end pick here. There's no question. And it's deserved. And, and quite frankly, if you've done DFS with Kelsey, um, he has outkicked his coverage. So whatever whatever ownership problems you have, it's still worth taking him. That's how many points he's garnering on a weekly basis. So uh, you know, I'd st- I, I would not be shy away from taking the favorite tight end here for any reason. It's just it's just how it works, especially this time of year when Kansas City needs to wake up a little bit offensively. I would expect when whoever they play, and I think it might be Tennessee, you're right they are going to want to put a number on him, especially seeing what Buffalo has been doing. Mm-hmm. Don't you just feel like Andy Reid and Mahomes are sitting in a room with a vat of whiskey saying, all right, we got to, whoever this team is going to be, we are going to freaking destroy them. 
to get our names yes. back into good good standing with these people. Uh, I, I, I would be conscious of that for sure. I, I think that's coming. Um, okay, so two tight ends are out the door. What, what do you got for me? So we got kicker and defense left, and you're going to laugh at me. No, no, let me guess. This is too good not to guess. God, you didn't go to the Bears, did you? Oh, God, no. All right, all right. So we're conscious here. It's not the Packers. Oh, you probably went the Bills defense, right? Ham Bills kicker. You went Cody Best. <laughs> Tyler Bass, baby. Oh, yeah. Is it bad that I messed up his first name and I live here? Um, <laughs> yeah, I stacked. That was my stack. I went with the Allen with the yes, kicker. Yes, Scott, I think defense. when people talk about a stack, they don't talk about stacking the kicker and the defense. That's not how this works. <laughs> no, no, they don't. But it, I guess if, if, if you're a homer like me right now and you think, they're the hot hand and they're going to go the deepest. All right. Devil's advocate. It's 30 degrees and windy in Buffalo today. <laughs> so you may not want to pick the kicker who's going to be in the cold, windy, wet weather. Yeah, uh, I know. Something definitely to think about, by the way, for all you playing these kind of games. Uh, the Superdome kicks well. You know, Green Bay, Mason Crosby. He's, he's probably not going to have advantageous weather. Uh, I'm going to guess Seattle's probably a good pick here. Just out of just out of the blue. Um, the Bills defense is going to be popular. They are. Uh, but, and Phillip Rivers isn't a, see, he's not super bad with care, with carelessness and turnovers. Boy, who do you pick though? I mean, Tannehill doesn't really turn the ball over. Derrick Henry never fumbles. Never. I, you know, Pittsburgh's beat up. Otherwise their defense is great. Man, I don't know the pick here. I think it might be the yeah. Saints. I think I would pick the Saints because actually their second half has been strong and you're starting with the with Mitch Trubisky. Right. I, I feel like it's you're going to garner some points there. It's that or Tampa, Tampa Bay, Bay defense. Tampa Bay, yeah. Yeah. Those are probably your two favorites. And with the Bills, a close third, probably if I had to guess. Um, I wouldn't sleep on Seattle here. I just wouldn't. I think they've got a pretty clear path through at least two rounds. And, uh, you know, that secondary is okay. Jamal Adams is going to wake up here and play some good football. The addition of Carlos Dunlap was effective. There's no question about that. And I believe in Russell Wilson. <laughs> it's pretty much that simple. This time of year, I believe in Russell Wilson. Now, he let us down last year, but... I like the Bills because the Bills aren't going to be the favorite here in terms of defensive picks. They're going to be highly no, picked. They're going to they're going to have usage. I mean, it's not an underdog pick, but it's probably the second tier. So I give you credit on that one. I would change your kicker. I think that's a bad pick. Okay. <laughs> I would change your your kicker. Um, I'd pick a home kicker. Week one. As long as there's no wide rights. I think I'd pick Seattle here. <laughs> Oh, no, Will Lutz. I'd take Will Lutz. Yeah. Okay. I would stack the Saints kicker in defense with Kamara. Yeah, because they're going to have at least, if they win, they'll have at least two home games in a dome. Actually, maybe I trade Kamara for Michael Thomas here. How about that? I'm going to trade Kamara for Michael Thomas and not play Kamara. You have Chris Carson. I like that pick a lot. And I don't think yeah. that will be high usage. He's been outstanding for a, a bunch of years now. He just can't stay consistently healthy. Uh, by the way, uh, 
something something else to think about this time of year because it's on their minds. Their agents are already talking about it. Expiring contracts. Chris Carson's expiring contract. Aaron Jones expiring contract. We didn't even mention him. That's going to have to be a pick here for a lot of people. Um, I'm trying to think who else quickly. Mitchell Trubisky expiring contract. You know, it's not James Conner, Juju Smith Schuster expiring contracts. It's it's not for nothing. It really isn't. You know, Lamar needs to get paid. Maybe Josh Allen definitely getting paid. Baker's going to be in that conversation. Nick Chubb needs a, needs a contract, so that's a good pick out of you there. It, it matters this time of year because all those jamokes like me out there are writing about it. Bro, I'm talking about extensions and trades and roster bubbles, and anybody who matters to the business of this side is doing that. So uh, it's certainly in the back of these, these guys' minds, and it's time to go play ball, not just for this season and try to win a title, but there's money coming. And the better they look right now in the spotlight, the more money that's going to be. It's just how it works yeah. in this business. So... You know, yeah, that's a great start, point. Yeah, take a look at the NFL free agent list on our on our site, and uh, take homage of it. I'm not. Is there a quarterback? Well, I guess Phil Rivers, but that doesn't really count because he basically is already in the Fox booth at this point. <laughs> um, anyone else? Yeah, Trubisky. That's it. Well, Breeze, but Breeze is playing for a whole new different thing, right? Breeze is going to be in that NBC booth in a couple of months, so he wants to walk away with a title, and that's why I picked him and Big Ben before the season. That's really what's the answer. Yeah. Expiring contracts, essentially, because of retirement, I would guess, for both. And why not? Their teams were good enough to win, so why not pick those two teams to walk, you know, kind of uh, ride off into the sunset with a Super Bowl? But, man, we haven't talked about... This Super Bowl is in Tampa, isn't it? It is. And Is that a no, reason not to pick Tampa? Well, and... You- if you go by the stats, no, right? no team has ever played in their home stadium for a Super Bowl. So if you go by that, then you don't want Tampa because the, the logic is they're they're not going to get there. But to to go against, you know, Brady and the weapons that he has, it's hard to go against that, too. Man, and they're a five seed and they're a favorite as a five seed against WFT. So they would play what? New Orleans next. Is that how that works? They, no, they would end up playing whatever the lowest seed is would go to the Packers. So if the Bears won, they would go to the Packers or oh, so they if the Rams won. No, so it's likely going to be Packers. Tampa because the Rams and Bears will likely lose, meaning it would be Green Bay. It'd be Tampa at right. Green Bay. Correct. Oh, that's phenomenal. It is. And that's a part of this. You got to f- kind of do these matchups in your head to, to figure out who's going to win that second round, right? That second game. So mm-hmm. similarly, if you're going chalk again, you're saying, well, let's say, yeah, I think, it, I, boy, could they both work out the same way? Five seed beats the four seed and that's it? I think that's very possible. I think you, a lot of people think Cleveland could upset Pittsburgh. I don't. I just don't, especially now with the COVID situation they're dealing with. Um, so that would be, that would be Baltimore at Kansas City. <laughs> it would. Uh, I'm rooting for that officially. So I might I might have more Ravens than not on this team. You've only got one Chief, and you've got one Tampa Bay Buccaneer, right? You've got Hill and Gronk. That's it. Yeah, I do. So who beats Kansas City, Scott? In your opinion, because you obviously think somebody's going to Buffalo when they meet up in the uh, championship. See, but isn't that a reason to, to use more Chiefs? If you think they're getting that far, you got to use more Chiefs. That's a good point. But who? Mahomes is going to be overused. He is. You're going to take a guess on the running back? Not at all. I mean, Edward Hilaire. I mean, is... Edward Hilaire has been, a, yeah. you know, 
non-existent at this point. Um, so I guess you would have to go Kelsey. Maybe Sammy Watkins shows up if you want to take a massive sleeper. It's a very argument. hard fantasy team. It's, it is. It's very, it's very Patriots-esque. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 that, and that is why I stayed away from them, and I went with Hill because if Mahomes is going to throw, I'm going to get the Hill points. But, you know, it, do it, doing this, you know, second season every year that Cousin Dan puts together, I mean, it, it, it does make you think, and you have to, you do have to think about the matchups, but you also have to think of who you personally think are going to advance and, and hope they advance. But then you also, when you're picking – you have to look and say, all right, that team, I'm not a fan of all those wide receivers or those running backs. And the running backs I picked were because, you know, Tampa Bay, they could have, uh, you know, it could be by committee for the most part between Fournette and and Ronald Jones Mm -hmm. or, you know, the Rams. Henderson can get the ball at the goal line, but it may be whoever else they're going to throw in there. So it, it does take a little bit of uh, a thought process and then you just have to commit and go with it. And I, I may reconvene on mine here as we get closer, especially if some guys start, you know, yeah. testing positive and, and I, I'm going to have to change them because of that. Or if we get closer and Kamara isn't able to go, you know, I, I'm going to have to bank on the saints winning to keep him or do I switch him out with something else? So it, it'll It'll come down to Saturday morning, probably, yeah. and me double checking. But, yeah. um, and and the thing is, for for those listeners, once you make your roster, it's locked for the entire playoff. So it's not like you right. can change this next next week. It's not COVID it, it proof. Puts, it's not injury proof. None nope, of that. Yeah, not at all. Right. Um, yep. Which is similar to ours. Okay. Real quick, Scott. If this were a, f- a salary cap postseason fantasy r- contest. Really quickly, just off the top of our heads, because, you know, me especially, I, I, I kind of live and breathe these numbers. Two, the two best value quarterbacks. Don't, don't, th- don't even think about usage. Just who's the two best value quarterbacks? Obviously, it's Allen. Remember, it's average salary we'd go by. So, av- you know, the, Josh Allen would be one. Do you, are you staying away from Baker and Lamar? Because the next threshold would be, believe it or not, Breeze and Brady. That's mm. your that's your really? second t- yes. So wow. outside of the rookie contract, it's Breeze and Brady at twenty five million a year. Then it's Tannehill. Sorry, Rivers is there too. Rivers, Breeze, and Brady twenty five million a year. Then Tannehill's about twenty seven and a half, I think. Yeah, I think you'd have to balance it out with probably Allen, or if you wanted to try Baker, Lamar, but then balance it out with you know that middle tier and not kill your cap with a Russell Wilson or a Aaron Rodgers or anything like that. Yeah, because you're talking, I mean, Rodgers and, and Roethlisberger are another $8 million, $33 million yeah. plus. Can't do Russell's that. 35. I'm not even including Alex Smith here. I, I, I just assume he's not a pickable on, you know, entity. They're, Ron Rivera has basically said they're going to stream him in Taylor Heineke, so he's, that's not a, vi- a viable fantasy option. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot Trubisky on the rookie contract, so um, I, I just don't know if anybody's done enough to do that. Uh, yeah, and Mahomes, of course, at 45, which in this kind of a game, he's, he has to score so many points to overcome that in a salary cap contest, yep. which yep. he's certainly able to do, but it's risky. So I, I actually think 
Brady and Allen is, are probably your best value top two quarterbacks. Is you know, assuming you take one out of each conference, which I think is probably a good move. So let's go there. R- running backs, there's a lot more options. So Kamara is signed. It, that's it. <laughs> I mean, in terms of expensive running backs, you know, Kareem Hunt got a $6 million contract. That's sort of expensive. You're not picking Mark Ingram on his $5 million. Everybody else is dirt cheap. You can pick whoever you want here. Oh, sorry, Henry at 12. 12 and a half, Derrick Henry. Um, so you'd have to decide on, is he going to score enough to, 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 for, for what that's going to cost you from a cap perspective? Um, does that, do, do 12 and a half and 14 and a half million for Kamara and Henry scare you away? Are they going to score so many more points than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb? You know, I don't think you can do it. I think you got to go Chubb and Taylor here, right? Yeah, or you can go one of those two, right? And then go cheap on the other. But you'd have to you'd have to roll the dice on which one you think is going to go further, or at least play two games to at least get two games worth of good point. points for that for that high value. If you're going Jonathan Taylor or Hines, you know. I just think it's not it, worth it. I'd go Aaron it, Jones. I'd go. There's so many. Chris Carson's dirt cheap. Right. I, there are so many you, options you have, to reduce your cap here that, you know, if Kamara scores six touchdowns next week, you're going to have to suck it up. You know? <laughs> well, and you're leaving out the Singletary or Zach Moss. I yeah. mean, those are two super cheap guys on the Bills. David that Montgomery you go with. Has, has had a hell of a David, second half here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I, I think you, you probably stayed dirt cheap on the running backs, even though, like I said, Henry and Kamara are going to be worth it week in and week out. Wide receivers is tougher. Actually, it's Devontae Adams is not 20 million a year. He's 14. I, I'm putting him on this list because he's a good value. And I think he's going to score the most points. Tyree kills yeah, that is. upwards of 19 million. So you probably have to make a call on him. And Michael Thomas is 19 and change almost 20. So he's probably out of this conversation now, especially with the red flags attached to him. You know, if you're talking longevity here, Chris Godwin is a great value for a salary cap postseason league where Mike Evans is, you know, costs double him right now. So you're leaning there. You're leaning DK Metcalf for sure on the rookie contract. Um, you know, Diggs is about, is it 14 or so? Maybe the last 12. 14. No, Diggs is 14. 14. So he's 14, in that conversation four. with uh, with Devontae Adams. Adams. So if you yeah. want to go with the top two wide receivers here, you're not going top top cap dollar here. Uh, A.J. Brown, that's a good pick, both football and and financially speaking. I don't know who you're picking on Baltimore, unless you're trying to be different. And you're just taking Hollywood <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brown to be different. Um, yep. You know, T.Y. is not paid yet in terms of uh, that $20 million. Can you find some value there? Javers Landry's somewhat expensive at 15 million, but you know, you could just go Juju, AJ Brown, uh, DK Metcalf, Chris Godwin, and you're costing yourself like $4 million (laughs) incredibly for those four wide receivers. So there's a way to go very, very cheap here. Um, tight ends. I don't think I would leave Travis Kelsey, even though he's ridiculously expensive. I think I'd go with him and then I'd go crazy cheap after that. You know, I wouldn't go. I'd probably go. Yeah, the tight ends. Yeah, why? Tight ends ends drop off real fast in fantasy. So you got to go with the the hot hand who you think is going to 
give you those points, or you go so cheap that it, Robert it, Tanyan, you, right? Yeah, just someone who is there. You hope he gets points, and if totally. not, then you you use it on a wide receiver or that running back. Totally, you got to cut your losses there. If you're gonna if you're gonna overpay for Kelsey, you got to go dirt cheap on the second pick there. So, and then kickers, you know, just don't go <laughs> Justin Tucker, and you're pretty much good because he's paid correctly. I mean, he's the best kicker maybe in the history of the league in terms of a lot of numbers, but for this kind of exercise, it's just not worth it. Uh, to, you know, take Harrison Bucker's pretty, pretty highly paid as well, by the way, from Kansas city. I, I, I'm still leaning Will Lutz here for, for financials and for the fact that he's in a dome and he's on a team. I think it's going to, is going to go a long way here. So I probably stick with the saints, the saints in all the special teams areas. So certainly it's a different mindset when you're talking about the money, but it's funny that a lot of the same names pop up, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, if I go, if I go, if I go with my Tyler Bass, uh, I'm super cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can save a couple <laughs> of mil there if you want, Scott. I'm just telling you, I'm looking outside the window right now and it's probably not ideal kicking conditions. That's all I'm no, telling you. I, I, no, I can, I completely get that. <laughs> I'm about you know four that, miles from the stadium. So I, I have a, well, at least some credibility and that, here. <laughs> and that, and that's a great point. And I'm sure you'll get into that with, in, with cousin Dan here about what guys do you take because of dealing with weather. And you know, when I did this, I did this, uh, a couple days ago and I, I didn't even think about the weather. So I may have to go back and rethink some of those because of the weather factor, because you know, passing if, game, if you have to, hell yeah, man. Well if, you, well, if you have to go through green Bay for every game, you know, do you really want a kicker where you're going to, you could potentially have the snow fest that they had so what, last week. Or isn't the ago. answer just take green Bay guys. If you're going to, if you're going to operate with that concern, we just saw green Bay put up like 45 points in a snowball. Yeah, right. in a snowstorm two weeks ago. So clearly that team is built for it. Even Aaron Jones had good footing in that game. Devontae Adams had excellent footing in that game. If you think that weather is going to impact the opposing teams coming into Green Bay, and it's a valid concern, then you better stack Green Bay. Well, and I'm, I was thinking more of the f- fact of if you're looking at your kicker, and I know kickers are only going to give you so many points, but I mean, some of them lead the NFL in total points for in league history as it is anyways. Yeah. But um, you know, if you're looking at a kicker, you, you sort of want to pick a kicker that is going to stay away from Green Bay as long as possible if yeah. you can. And then in, in going to Tampa, it's going to be nice weather. So if you can pick nice weather um, kickers and, and hope that there's not going to be a snowstorm. I mean, most of these cities that the football is going to be played in is is going to be in cold weather at some point whether you're in buffalo you're in kansas city you're in lambeau you know those are it's just going to happen so um i i like your will lutz because it's in in it's a perfect dome. spot it is he and won't see him to the nfc championship game right right and if it has to go through green bay or if green bay loses then it's home in in new orleans and then he gets three games in a dome. So th- that's actually a really good thought there. Didn't think of it when I was doing this. And mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go back and uh, recheck these along with weather and COVID stuff as yeah. we get closer here. Yeah, keep Twitter open. That's for sure. Well, maybe not today, but <laughs> no. <laughs> going forward. All right, good stuff. We're going to bring in Cousin Dan and switch this conversation to gambling. All right, for our final segment of the week. Cousin Dan is back. It is a good gambling weekend. Am I incorrect in saying that? Six games, three three Saturday, three Sunday. 
I guess we're only speaking NFL here and then potentially an NCAA championship game on Monday. Uh, where's your real money going? Let's start there, Dan. Where's your real money going this weekend? Well, yeah, in terms of just pure action, there's a lot to take in and a lot of places to throw your money around this week, uh, that or this weekend, all weekend long, that's for sure. So, um, Quite honestly, I didn't really like a lot of the lines this week. I didn't think there was uh, too much value there early in the week. And I really, I I don't know how much I'm going to get in on that this week. I might um, focus a little bit more on player props and and things like that um, personally. So anything standard out that you want to give to the people here? uh, No, not, not specifically, (laughs) but no, I, I just think it's a tough week. There's so many variables different, you know, every game has, you know, a lot of question marks. I mean, it is the playoffs, so it's to be expected, but um, there's really very few straightforward spots, um, which create variables down the line with the reseeding and all of that stuff. So I, I'm sure we'll jump into that, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough week in my opinion. You know, first week of the playoffs, different scenario with only one, um, one by we or one, one team with the, with a first round buy and um, you know, the extra, extra team in the playoffs. So it, it's definitely going to be a little bit uh, different, to process mentally that's for sure here's your top five super bowl odds right now kansas city plus 220 green bay plus 500 buffalo plus 700 new orleans plus 750 and tampa bay plus 1000 anything jumping off the page there for you I mean, I, I'm not going to talk bad about the top three teams, but I mean, I think that's going to get pounded to death here, um, you know, over the next few days and leading into the weekend. But um, yeah, I, I like New Orleans there quite a bit. I think that's actually, I like that whole middle chunk of teams there. Even some you didn't talk about. I think Pittsburgh is maybe eighth or ninth on that list, something, something like that. But um, I really do like that middle section i think there's some value and i definitely think some of those teams could sneak in and into a a conference championship game and then from there who knows you you can make a super bowl no problem and there's then you know you hit on one of those you hit a nice bet on one of those teams with decent odds in the middle of the field there and and it's plus ev 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 bet that is for sure i think more than ever and look vegas is is telling us this with these odds you know, the NFC is an absolute crapshoot. The Green Bay and New Orleans are basically the same same team right now. You know, Tampa Bay is in that second tier, but Tampa Bay, Seattle are neck and neck. So why wouldn't you take a Seattle at plus 1,300 here? You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, they've got a lot to overcome, and I think the, the many consider the Chiefs and the Bills to be better than any NFC team. So I understand it from that perspective in terms of winning the Super Bowl. But even if it's just to win the NFC and you're getting similar results here, I would I would place real money into the NFC because I think anybody can win that. Maybe Rams withstanding, though I give him I give him some kind of credit here. I mean, you know, if Goff comes back and is no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have that discussion. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even. I can't even lie myself into that conversation. All right, let's just focus on this weekend right now. I want to start here because I, I mentioned this with Scott a little bit when we built our fantasy roster, and and again that was a full postseason roster, you know. And with you, I want to kind of keep it more week to week, which is generally how you and I bet in terms of DFS. Um, start here. You do a lot more variety in this stuff than I do, uh, to the point of you know where your wife is worried. 
but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there a, are there a couple of formats for this kind of setup this weekend where, you know, three games Saturday, three games Sunday, you know, are you combining all six games into, into most of your, your, your contests? Are you focusing more on a Saturday contest versus a Sunday contest? How are you handling that from a DFS perspective this weekend? From a DFS perspective, I will probably play a mixture of everything um, aside from like showdown type slates, which I typically don't have great success with um, yet at this point in my career. Um, but yeah, I'll probably play some of the single Saturday, three game only Sunday, three game only slates. And um, then I'll probably have a little bit of uh, mixture in the combined slate that, that the sites are offering, but there's a little bit less, less important action um, on the combined slates there. So how big it's of, kind of, it's kind of going to be like a Thanksgiving slate. If you think of exactly. separate Thanksgiving yeah. slates, I mean, not this Thanksgiving slate cause we got robbed with only the two games, but, um, yeah, it's going to be like mentally, it's going to feel very much like that. I think how big of a tournament is too big for you in DFS. Well, at the price levels, I feel comfortable at, I, I mean, I play a lot of lower entry, higher, excuse me, lower buy-in, higher entry fields where, um, I'm kind of risking less and taking more shots on kind of random filthy players that nobody wants to play, if you know what I mean, and hoping that those hit. But um, So are you getting into the 10,000 users? Yeah, I, a lot of the tournaments I've already entered are 10,000 plus, 10, 10, to, 10 to maybe 19,000, somewhere in that range. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the sheer number, it, it's very different from 100 or even a 1,000-person contest where – um, the variance isn't going to hit you quite as hard, but in, you know, in one of these big field contests, you really have to get a little bit off the grid in terms of ownership and projection and stuff like that in order to be different from, you know, 17 or, you know, even 20,000, um, different lineups, but the, you know, in millionaire maker type contests, there's like 200,000 entries there. I don't, it's a little bit too crazy for me, um, too much variance. I, I don't get too far into that stuff. I, I primarily play in the single entry and three max type contest, though, where you can enter one or up to three different entries in one single contest. And then I, I enter at a bunch of different price levels and different contests for those. So, But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually think the – more positive EV move is probably on these smaller slates to go towards a smaller contest um, because you don't have to get off the grid. I mean, I mean, really, when you're clicking on players that you need, you don't really want to be playing Cam Sims comfortably in that right. game, in that Washington Tampa Bay game. But um, you know, if Cam Sims gets you 15 points and he's two percent owned in a big field contest, um, that's a ton of leverage, and you're already in in a in a good spot there, but, um, yeah, it doesn't feel comfortable. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and less games, less variety, less opportunity to be different and vary from, you know, many of the other entries, but that doesn't mean go chalk here. You know, I mean, I mean, Scott and I kind of went back and forth, especially at the wide receiver position. You know, are you, are you coming out of the gate here starting Stefan Diggs and, and Devonte Adams, because you know that they're set to pile up huge points and you just don't care about the ownership or in this, you know, with less games to deal with, do you have to be creative right out of the gate? 
Yes, you definitely need to be creative at some point in your roster construction. Um, you don't. I don't think you need to force it and get totally off chalk, though, because, I, I mean, in a vacuum, there's a reason these players are chalk. They're they're really highly projected and typically in a very good situation. So that's why ownership gravitates one way or the other. Um, so it's it's really not smart to just say, you know. I'm going to fade the top 10 highest owned players and try and work around that because you're pro- you're probably going to lose at the end of the day because those players are going to be among the highest scoring on the slate very likely. Now, good example you just used Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Saturday slate. They're going to be very highly owned. I haven't really seen the first round of um, ownership projections yet, but I I can already tell you that's probably going to be the top quarterback wide receiver stack um, on the slate. Now, am I saying don't play that? No, absolutely not. That's a great, that's a great pairing. But if you're going to play that, you, you have to know that you're going to need to get different elsewhere. You can't, you're then not going to be able to play Derrick Henry and, um, you know, or even if you remove digs, you're, you're just not going to be able to, to play the chalk at all the other positions on the slate. If you know what I'm trying to, uh, on the Saturday slate. Um, so like in that game specifically, let's say you want to play Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, and you want to bring it back with a Colt. Well, I mean, naturally I, I'm, just going to guess that Jonathan Taylor is going to be the highest owned Colt. Um, Mm -hmm. I would then probably predict T Y Hilton will have the next highest ownership. You might want to try and get different right there and not bring it back with one of those two players and maybe bring it back with a Michael Pittman or a Zach Pascal or one of the tight ends. Um, That will be a very cheap and create other you know, other pricing options in different areas of your roster. Um, and it just, they're going to be way lower owned and there's tons of leverage right there. You're going to be different right off the bat. So um, I don't think you need to force it and say, I'm just going to X out all of these players and only play low owned guys. I just think you need to be mindful of mixing high ownership players with lower ownership players that do have a ceiling, a, a potential ceiling projection, um, but just aren't, you know, popular among crowd. Like good example that always tilts me is Green Bay. I mean, the the logical stack every time is is Aaron Rodgers and Devonte Adams. But you know that Marquez Valdez Scantling is you know Al Mazard. That those guys both have two touchdown games within their grasp. Now, if you play out if you play out these games a million times, are they going to always be the highest scoring players on this slate? No, very rarely, but in a one game sample size, is it possible that, um, you know, let's go to the bills. Is it possible Isaiah McKenzie, who was a star last week, you know, if, is it, is there a non-zero chance that he has 70 yards and a touchdown this week? No, absolutely not. And for every, every touchdown that he gets is one that Josh Allen and or Stefan Diggs is not getting. So um, that's my point there with differentiation. Don't, you don't have to push it, but you do have to be mindful. You can't just run out, especially in a large field tournament, you're going to get duplicated, which is never good. But if you, um, you know, if you just play chalk players, you're probably going to have an issue. I will add one more note to that. Um, if you do play a lot of chalk players, I would suggest leaving some salary on the table because that is another way to get a little bit different. A lot of people are always trying to spend, um, right up to the salary cap on those sites and, um, on a small slate, 
it's right. it's typically trying to, smart get to, to trying to force the issue, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you try and make like the perfect match of salaries that combine, well, you know, if there's 20,000 other entries, I can almost guarantee you somebody else landed on that same combination of players. Now, if you punt $1,800 or $1,900, you know, something like that and settle, you know, if you go Cole Beasley or something like that over Stefan Diggs, now maybe that, you know, and you leave a little salary on the table, Cole Beasley has the better game than Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is 35% owned. Cole Beasley's 10% owned. You, you have massive leverage right there. So just keep that in mind when you're building lineups. Okay. So let's stay on process here. Cause I actually think this is the most interesting part for me. Hopefully it is for the listeners too. You know, I, I use fantasy pros quite a bit. It's kind of the site that I, I've just latched onto for my long, you know, my league fantasy, some of the daily fantasy stuff, you know, a lot of just the kind of the stat manipulation as well. Um, and they do have a decent, decent DFS section. So one of the things that they show you inside of their DFS tool is the over under of the game. Number one, do you make note of this? And if so, you know, how do you, how do you attack situations where Seattle versus the Rams is at 42 and a half, whereas Baltimore, Tennessee is at 54 and a half. That's a gigantic swing of where Vegas thinks the, the production is going to come from. You know, does 42 and a half for Seattle and LA say, I got to stay away from that game completely? It's a great point. Um, Ownership definitely congregates around the higher, higher totaled games. That is for sure. There's no doubt about that. Now, at the end of the day, you really do have to just break it down. It's a one game sample size and these are projections. And, you know, if an implied total is for one team is 23 points, are they going to land exactly on 23 points? more it's actually more likely that they won't land on 23 points so you have to keep that in mind that these are merely projections but when you're looking at the slate as a whole you do want to gravitate towards higher scoring games because for anyone who follows sports betting vegas is very good at projecting (laughs) lines and totals breaking Um, news yeah so it's not something to make final decisions but i think it's something again it's something to keep in mind as you're building lineups like there's going to be obvious games where ownership gravitates to based on players and teams that are easier to stack like um you know in the past tampa bay has been hard to stack because there's you know four legit pass catchers there with godwin mike evans um gronk yeah, and they're Chris all Godwin, and they're all expensive and you have two running back. I mean, Leonard Fournette, you can say what you want about him, but he has had a role for most of the year. Yeah. Um, and Ronald Jones is a legit, I mean, he's a legit weapon in the backfield and can in vulture TDs take scores. So um, it's just hard to nail down in a, in a offense that isn't super condensed who you want to stack and you know, which way you want to, uh, which way you want to go there. So um that's why like a va- like that that game is probably going to have like the the bucks themselves probably will have a high total which will make people look at that. Yeah, to into backup, yes. A lot of DFS players start their research with the highest total games. Sure. Now, I guess what I'm trying to say is again, maybe don't always go for the highest total game and look for value in maybe some of the middle total games and, you know, 
any of those games can easily hit. Again, the lowest total game on a slate could hit and there's no ownership there and you can, you can, and you can slam. So on a three game slate, I think you really should not be focused on that, but yes, it's something, it's something to keep in mind. If only for the reason you're trying to figure out where ownership is going to go. I mean, that's half the battle in DFS is having a good projection and knowing the ownership and where it's going to go. So you can make pivots in the right spots to get off of that. So 2020 was weird, you know, 2021 so far, not so great. Uh, We'll leave that alone, but you know, the COVID stuff is still here and you have been, you know, betting with it now for months. I mean, literally a year almost, does the Cleveland situation completely deter you or, or maybe more globally, do you think it's going to deter the populace in terms of DFS? Are you, are we going to see less percentage from Nick Chubb than we normally would in, in a regular week? Same for Baker, same for Jarvis, you know, those kind of options, you, you know, it's just like, you know, the elephant in the room with that situation going to pull back people on the Browns. It's been tough. Yes. I mean, you can bet a line early in the week and it changes based on, you know, so many factors. I mean, for instance, when the Steelers um, Ravens game happened, I bet that game early in the week, Baltimore money line. And then the next day half the Ravens team gets ruled out and it quickly jumps to like 10. I think it was, it went from four to 10 points in the Steelers direction. So um, yes, betting during COVID has been tough and stressful. Now that can work the other way as well. Um, you know, if I had taken the, um, Steelers end of minus four, and then all of a sudden I'm getting six points and, you know, it works in that direction as well. Right. So, so even um, from a DFS perspective, Dan, like, I guess let's flip it on its head. You know, do you see that Brown situation right now, especially with their head coach, right. And say, all right, so maybe the Pittsburgh guys are going to be better starts than I anticipated here, you know, because that Brown situation might be a disaster, so, you know, maybe Ben may have a week here. Maybe J- James Conner may run all over this team because they're not prepared. Does that come into your mind at all, or is that just too far-fetched? It's it's definitely something that you should include in your process. for pro- Probably for both DFS and, like, the near term, and if you're playing in um, more of a full playoff format where you're – I mean, in those formats you want to – you're trying to get – to at least two, two weeks, yeah. likely three weeks out of most of your players, if you can. Right. So um, in the, if the Steelers have a decent game and they're guaranteed a second game, then right off the bat, you're, you're right there. And if other, if other players aren't focused on grabbing Steelers, um, you know, I don't want to say the Browns is a, a slam dunk layup game or anything like that. It's, no, yeah. it's, it's not, but um, those are the kind of games I think, you know, why everyone's focused on grabbing bills and chiefs. Like uh, uh, let's, let's yes. To answer your question. Yes. The COVID stuff is, is changing everything. You should keep it in mind. I don't, again, I don't think you need to like, you know, draw any lines in the sand based on the COVID stuff or think, you know, well, the Browns don't have their starting coach this week. Like, is that going to make a difference? Yes, it probably will. But is it enough for you to know? Or if it if it doesn't work out, are you going to know that you are right or wrong? You know what I mean? It's a one game one game sample. Yeah, I think so it just makes think... when I draft Nick Chubb even more. To be honest, that's the way I kind of look at it. Like, oh, he well, just yeah, seems I, so safe now. And he's probably one of the top running backs on the on you know, in the first weekend of games. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and going forward, if they can win, but I mean, you have to like talking probabilistically, 
they're probably not going to win, right? And that that's where we were kind of talking a little bit before. Oh, actually, the, actually, let's oh, stop right there because this is a this is a super small sample, right? It's a three game set, and it's one week, and it's basically you know it's win if you're out, win win or you're out. Are you looking for teams that are going to win? Or are you looking for teams who are going to be behind in the fourth quarter here? You, you know what I mean? Is where's your focus in terms of? Of, of how teams will attack from an offensive standpoint this weekend. From a DFS perspective. Yeah. You're, I mean, you can totally be on board with if, if the Browns have to play from behind, then Nick Chubb is probably dead in the water and yes. Kareem hunt immediately becomes, you know, a better play in Baker and all those passing options. But we know in a close or neutral game script that the Browns run the ball a lot. Yeah. So if that's not a blowout, which it likely won't be a blowout, then that's probably a close game. And if there's no ownership there, then yes, I don't think the Browns are are a bad play. Do you know, it's just sex appeal too. Like, who wants who wants to play Rashad Higgins when you can play, you know, Juju or you know, any pick any stud receiver and pick any no name guy. Like anybody sitting on their couch making a DFS lineup is not you know, they're going to go with the name brand almost every time. So just, just keep that in mind that, you know, just get a little bit different from what everyone else, you know, the group thinks. So Taylor Heineke different or no, Uh, I mean, that might be, that might be a stretch. It seems like a stretch Uh, on that though. And not to get too player centric. I do have a couple of player questions, but I think, uh, you know, they're not going to be too, too far down the line here. You know, how cute is too cute? You know what I mean? Like if I, if I like Baltimore, and I'm starting Lamar, but you know, it's kind of really difficult to stack Lamar. Is it too cute to throw Des Bryant into the conversation for DFS right now? Is that too no. far? No, I see. That's where I'm saying get different. So now if you, if you do that though, you already know you've differentiated your lineup. So you don't need to then play a bunch of off the grid players along with that because you're, you're at that point, then you're looking for a hail Mary parlay, right? It, it, the way you're setting it up, you know, if you, if Lamar has a game and goes off and is highly owned, well, that's fine. But if he throws two, you know, red zone touchdowns to Des Bryant and nobody has him, well then all the chalk players, you can play them if you want, you know, you, because you don't need to get leverage. Everyone else is going to be playing those games, but you already have the immediate leg up because you had Des Bryant, you know, so it's one, Des it's Bryant. one wrinkle against, you know, a bunch of favorites. And, and sometimes right. that's all you need, right? Yeah, and I'm not just saying, oh, you know, you took one off-the-grid player, you know, but I, you don't need to have, like, Isaiah McKenzie and Miles Boykin and, right. you know, uh, Anthony Fersker. You don't, you don't need to, like, get that, you know, deep down the wormhole. You can sprinkle in some of these, like, lower-rated options, if you will, if you have these, like, stud anchors in your, in your lineup. So that, that's what I, I just – suggest, you know, not going too off the grid in terms of ownership and not creating a lineup full of highly owned players. Michael Thomas. Let's assume he's back. Let's assume he's 100%. I, I, I don't know why we wouldn't at this point. He's, he's basically getting a full week of practice in here. I mean, he's carrying red flags and I don't think I would, I don't think I would take him on, in a full postseason for whatever reason. Certainly not in a salary cap postseason, 
But in, in a single game DFS, especially, you know, well, maybe maybe the Bears are a tough matchup for him. But, would you know, are you considering Michael Thomas right now? Or is that just the name you've got to see at first? I like this. I personally like the Saints a lot. I mean, yes, they're going on. It's a tough game versus the Bears. Yeah. But if they can if they can squeak by there, which they have every re- I mean, the Saints are bona fide playoff contenders, right? They have been for years. They're they're seemingly getting pretty healthy right now. So back up. Let me back up. Yes, I like Michael Thomas, and here's why. If the Saints beat the Bears, they're going to play. They're not going to play the Packers, right? They're the number two seed, so they're going to get one of not the lower owned, but even, I mean, who else really there? It'll probably be Seattle. Right. Okay. So let's say it's likely Seattle. They can beat Seattle at home, you know, like in their dome, not going on the road. And who knows if it's Tampa Bay, Green Bay. I mean, Tampa Bay could knock off Green Bay. And then if we're going to project that out, Saints, Tampa Bay, again, two very familiar opponents. Sure. So I I think the Saints can go on a little bit of a run here. I mean, like any any good playoff run, you need the dominoes to fall in your way, but I think there's some meat on the bone. I mean, sure, could the Bears stop them first round? Then it's all, uh, you know, my dreams are all done for sure. But I, Michael Thomas and Kamara, I mean, they have name value, but I feel like the Saints are getting overlooked and really people are just are so focused on the Chiefs, the Packers and the Bills offensively that a lot of these other teams that do have a, leg, a legitimate shot to go deep into the playoffs are going to get overlooked and you know, and on that same note, on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Chiefs yeah. get a first round bye and they're not so those players aren't going to accumulate points the first week. And then let's say the Bills beat the Colts, the Steelers beat the Browns. So the Chiefs will then play the winner of the four five game, which is the Titans and the Ravens, which both I mean I don't know about you. I think either of those teams could beat the chiefs. I'm not going to say it's, I'm not going to say it's likely, but those are, I mean, the AFC, those, those top five teams are legit in my opinion. So I think the Titans Ravens could knock off the chiefs. And then, um, you know, all these people that focus on the chiefs because they have such a, you know, a visually appealing offense. I mean, it's one game versus maybe the, maybe the Ravens who have been, pretty good defensively the last couple of weeks. I mean, if it's the Titans, that could be a, that could be a, a track meet, but um, I think you get my point. The chiefs ton of popularity, but they might be one and done for all we know. So, so in terms of just the one week, the DFS for this wild card weekend, who's the overlooked team this week? Is it Seattle? Or does that Rams um, defense keep you away from Seattle? Yeah, I mean that's tough. I don't think that's going to be an explosive game by any means. Okay. I think if I think see that's going to be a grinded game. Um, just Seattle late in the year. I don't see them wanting to push the pace. The Rams, like you said, good defense. Um, the Rams are likely going to want to slow the pace down. They're not going to want to to get into some sort of shootout um, with the with the Seahawks. So. I will probably take some like one-off pieces there. Like DK Metcalf can always have a monster game. Sure. Um, Lockett, same thing in one-off scenarios. Chris Carson, you know, but how are you going to pair that up and expect a lot of points in that game? I don't know. That might be, that might be tough. That might be tough. 
I, I have to, I have to imagine without looking that the majority of the people are going to be on Tampa and on Buffalo big this weekend. It just seems like, you know, those offenses peaked at the right time. It, they're in the back of our minds. They're on the front page of all the sports headlines. You know what I mean? It's all about right. Tampa Brady, you know, Godwin and Evans both kind of showed something, even though I'm not sure Evans is even healthy, um, which even maybe more malice not to play Chris Godwin, but just seems like those are going to be the forefront teams, which is why I kind of, I brought up Michael Thomas, by the way, Dan, even on just this one week blip, you know, is he the eighth or ninth priced receiver? Maybe more. Is he 12th, 13th? And, you know, it's not like he needs time to get back in rhythm with Drew Brees. That, that is not something they're going to need. If he's healthy, Drew Brees is going to target him maybe 12 times. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if he's down the list, I, I'm taking Michael Thomas in a lot of contests this weekend because I, I just I'm going to bet on that experience coming back into the fold. Yeah, for sure. They that offense is very condensed. You know where Drew Brees likes to throw the ball. I mean, you can loop in Jared Cook into that, but really it's Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara and everyone else is sprinkled in. You can't really rely on too much um, for anybody else. So, yeah, I think if Michael Thomas ends up at low ownership, um, what that game's on Sunday, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, his, so, it's of course, prime time. Actually, sorry, it's Saturday prime time. Yeah, Saturday primetime. So it's going to be in your first light with the Bills. So there you go. That's going to be, that's what I mean. It's going to be Bills and Buccaneers heavy for DFS on right. Saturday. And then oh, the, the Saints, of course, are going to be later on Sunday with the premonition that they can sneak Kamara in with these COVID rules because that is the 10th day of his quarantine. So it's going to be about can they get him, you know, released in time, essentially. So something to watch there for sure. But I, I, you know, if I'm picking a couple of sleeper picks here for DFS, yeah, I think the saints are undervalued. You know, there's nothing wrong with picking Titans. The bills have a good defense, but there's nothing wrong with picking AJ Brown or Derek Henry or even John Smith right now, in my opinion, you know, that should be a high scoring game. That's up there. I mean, that's going to be, that's an over under of 51 Vegas thinks that's going to be 25 to 20 admit, you know, somewhere around there. Um, so I, not, not these games really don't scare me is, is what I'm saying. So I think have at it with the variety. I mean, we haven't even mentioned like a Jonathan Taylor Dan. I mean, the running back situation, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, some of these second tier running backs, not named Derek Henry, who, who kind of leads the way in this conversation for this postseason. but you're right. The Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette situation at any time, these guys can peak and it's about durability versus the one game. You know, if you're thinking the conversation we had with Scott, this was a lot harder conversation. You know, you've got to pick the offense you think is going to get the most games. And that's really how it is with running backs, but not in DFS, right? I mean, not this week. You can, you can rely on Leonard Fournette as an RB1 this week, can't you? Ah, rely is a tough word, but um, I know what you mean. I, he, there is a non-zero chance that he stumbles into the touchdown twice and has 40 yards. Yes, that's a very real possibility. Sure. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Anything else? You want to give? You, you want to make some calls here? Super Bowl picks? I don't think I've got your Super Bowl picks. Give them to me. Oh, um. <laughs> oh man, I will say. 
Oh, I will. I'll say Chiefs Saints, and it's not very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> no, that'd be fun as hell. No, okay. Uh, AFC, if I'm going to go off the grid, I have going into the season, throughout the season, I have been expecting regression, positive regression for the Ravens. And we started to see it at the end of the year. Sure. I think they're peaking at the right time. And although they're not, they're not in the same conversation with the Bills offense or the Chiefs or the Packers who can literally just ether you at any time. They can win and they can grind the game down. You know, they have three backs who can grind you down. Um, Lamar, obviously, Mark Andrews is a very good tight end. They do have some weapons, you know, receiving weapons. They're not great, but there are weapons there. And their defense always stays competitive. Jim Harbaugh, plenty of, you know, he has plenty of playoff coaching experience. That team is for an underdog. I think they're ready to win, but I mean, they might not get past Tennessee. So I don't want to sit here and say that <laughs> they're my favorite, but I, 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 I think there could be some helium on Baltimore. They win one game. They can quickly win two games. I, I shouldn't say quickly. The Chiefs are no easy opponent, but you get what I'm trying to say. Sure. I, I'm not going to reference momentum because I'm not a momentum believer, but um, they've been playing good ball. I mean, not great opponents, but they have been playing good ball the last couple weeks here. So um, there is a chance they get hot and uh, kind of get on a roll here. So. Mo I do like the. I, I we've talked about them multiple times though. The Saints, I think, are yeah. being overlooked based on what has happened. And their defense recently. has really come around. I mean, that's a complete yeah. team right now. Good kicker. Yeah, they they're couple, in the dome. Yeah, I like everything about them. Yeah, they had a couple weeks there where they took a lull, but I think they got right back on board starting with what was it, week fifteen or sixteen, when they played played the Chiefs and um, kind of largely shut them down. So, um, yeah, Saints. I I think they're just getting overlooked. I mean, it's not really like a out of left field pick by any means. Okay. Well, if you believe in the Ravens, then you got to put your money where your mouth is. Cause I think this is probably the, the path that they get to where you're saying most playoff rushing yards in this postseason. Lamar Jackson is plus nine fifty. Wow. In very interesting. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it ain't going to be like, his passing like yards. Even, <laughs> even if they only win, I mean, I'm not like putting the math together in right. my head, but let's say they even they they win one game, play two games, and he rushes for generously 175 yards. I mean, well, the favorite is win. Derrick Henry at plus 260, but Lamar should take him out week one. Well, exactly. And that's <laughs> so. What I mean. so if Henry, if you knock Henry off there and Lamar gets more than one game, right. look around the playoffs and tell me running backs you genuinely feel confident are. A, going to get more than one game, and B, are going to have a lot of rushes. I mean, the Chiefs don't give no. – they don't concentrate. No, Running no, back no. touches the it, Bills. It's Kamara, it but Kamara just doesn't get the rushing yards. It, it's it's a combined package, you know, and mostly, you know, he's getting shovel passes or screens to make up the most of his – you know, Aaron Jones could break one. There's no question. If the Packers go out, you know, run this table, and Aaron Jones has a couple of 80-yard bombs, then that, he's, of course, going to win this. But the the fact that Henry's the favorite at plus two sixty and Lamar is plus nine fifty, one of those two are going to be canceled out Sunday. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Put your money down in this. I like it. All right, good stuff, man. I'm going to be looking forward. We're not done, by the way. I'm going to be you know blowing up your phone Saturday morning for those picks, and then Sunday morning again for those picks. So uh, when it comes time to put real money into this, 
Any real bets this week from you, or are you going to keep those close to the vest? Um, honestly, Mike, I haven't looked too much at it to really know anything. I like I said, I probably, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> going to stay away from the money. I, I'll probably stay largely away from the spreads and the lines on these games, but, yeah. um, I'll definitely, I, I always look for some soft action. What I think at least is soft action on player props. So I'll dig into that here coming into the, into the weekend. So appreciate your time. We'll have you back soon, man. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. All right, that does it. We kind of jumped across the board here, and it was great. My thanks to Emily Karen, at underscore M Karen on Twitter. Check her out at Sportico. My thanks to Scott Allen and Cousin Dan. Also, The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And check out olbg.com for more, just like Dan gave you there, the professionals teaching you how to bet, join some free contests, win some great cash prizes, and become a better gambler as a whole. OLBG.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.